Let us pray. Father, as we look at your word today, may you open our minds and our hearts to understand to understand it and to have it bring us closer to you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. When reading our scripture verses, it is very important to understand the context in which they were written, to get the bigger picture. We need to avoid misinterpretation and misuse when we pick verses because they fit our purpose or sound good to us. A good habit, even when led by the Spirit to a verse or section. Go back, go forward. Especially when a verse starts with a connector, like here at the start of Mark's account of the Transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. To see what was before the after, let's review the end of chapter 8. In verses 29 to 30, Jesus asked his disciples, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Notice that he asked them to keep this new knowledge that he is indeed the Christ to themselves. Then in verses 31 to 32, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Then Jesus calls the crowd together with his disciples and starts his teaching to them, now assembled in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he ends it with the words, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. That's Mark 9.1. Now, as there is some theological discussion about when this kingdom of God come with power refers to, but please note that all three Gospels accounts transition immediately to the transfiguration account and I like to operate by the KISS, that's keep it simple, you know the rest, system. Verse 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Why just Peter, James, and John? When God disciplined his people, he always left a faithful remnant. We find an example of in our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings 19 today. Elijah has fled for his life. He is feeling alone among his people in his faithfulness. 
and deserted by God. But God has come to him to comfort him and assure him that he never deserts his faithful. He informs Elijah that he has appointed Elisha as his successor as prophet. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And again in Malachi, that Pastor Dan preached through last week, in the midst of the total disgust that God expressed for the way his people deserted him and turned to the ways of the world, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares whose son who serves him. But it must be remembered that these remnants were not to be isolated, dormant, cliques. They were to be seeds that produced fruit that feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Even though God withdrew in discipline for 400 years after Malachi, this faithful group continued. One might say that Simeon and Anna would be descendants of this Malachi remnant. If possible, now 400 years later, Jewish spiritual life was even more toxic than that described in Malachi. It had hardened into a legalistic ritual affair with no heart for God's word, no reverent fear of God. And now, with Jesus' time on earth coming to an end, he was preparing a new remnant. This one was to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and take the gospel of Christ into the darkness of the world. And Peter, James, and John, along with the addition of Paul, were to be the head earthly shepherds of this flock. We can sometimes read the gospel and ask ourselves, why didn't they get that teaching? Why did that concept seem foreign to them? But we should cut them some slack. Remember, they at this time were not filled by the, the Spirit that came at Pentecost or even baptized with the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 22, and when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Once they had received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they would look back at these special private teaching moments with Jesus and have aha moments to share with the flock. Continually in Mark, and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Matthew writes, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. The Greek word metamorpho, to change into another form, is used only four times in the entire New Testament. Here in Matthew and Mark in reference to Christ, and twice in reference to believers. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2 and, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Luke writes about the transfiguration, verse 30, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. All three persons were present in their glorified bodies, Christ in his divine glory, that he would take up again after his resurrection, and Moses and Elijah in their eternal bodies promised to all Old Testament faithful and New Testament believers. For this brief period of time, the spiritual kingdom of God has a physical presence in the earthly realm. This physical presence of God's kingdom will not be repeated until Christ returns to establish his rule. Jesus' transfiguration, along with God's voice from the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him, verse 7, was a confirmation of the truth of Peter's confession in chapter 8, verse 30. You are the Christ. Moses and Elijah, prophets of the Old Testament, who were to be listened to, had their mantle passed on to the Christ, God's Son. From Acts 3, verses 22 and 23, Moses said, The Lord God will rise up for you, a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Continuing in Mark in verse 8, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Again, here is the charge not to tell anyone what they had seen. Why not tell anyone that Jesus was the Christ, as Peter confessed in Mark 8.30, in front of all the disciples? And why not that the three, Peter, James, and John, had visible and audible confirmation of that fact on top of Mount Hermon in the Transfiguration? Because his messianic mission was the recon reconciliation of, with God of his people, and later, us Gentiles, and that must come to fulfillment through his death on the cross and resurrection. If the disciples could not yet wrap their heads around the need for his death on the cross and resurrection in three days to fulfill his messianic mission, 
those in the crowd who were following Jesus would be even more uncomprehending. Those following his, his ministry would be distracted before the preordained time as expectancy would be built to lead a revolt against the Romans as a political military deliverer. And the call for reconciliation with God would be ignored. I would suggest that true Christianity is still a remnant and always has been. Yes, I know that data shows Christianity as the largest religion in the world, with one in three calling themselves Christians. But so many of the churches have become institutionalized, legalistic, concerned with rituals and habits, conforming the word of God to the ways of man instead of the other way around. God's word is selected piecemeal and changed in meaning to appease the ear and remove the conviction of personal moral sin against God. God's self-sacrificial agape love for us and us for our neighbor has become an emotional love, a feeling love, and if it feels good, it must be right. Instead of calls for social justice, following, following upon the change of heart through reconciliation with God in Christ, churches are too eager to join the cries for social justice based on man-made attempts and policies. It is hard at times to tell the difference between a church and any other secular social outreach organization. They would do well to heed Jesus' words to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. That's in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. I could go on, but I hope you get the picture. So yes, true Christians are a remnant. Through the ages, this remnant has had times of large fruitfulness and expanded around the world. At this time, there is an explosion of faith in the areas of the global south, like Africa, China, the Middle East, Latin America. But much of the global north, like here in North America, is like an arid desert. We would do well to remember the purpose for God leaving remnants amid the darkened world, as it is under discipline. Jesus told his disciples to keep mum at that time concerning his messiahship, but we have no such constraint. In fact, we are told to listen to Christ's command and the great commission and proclaim the gospel to everyone near and far without concern for the cost to ourselves, for our future is already certain.
We are to love with God's love, John 3.16. All our neighbors, and sometimes that means they will turn against us. Yes, social outreach is important, but if it is not accompanied by the gospel, what is the difference to the charity offered by non-believers? And what difference does it have for the eternal life of recipients? We don't need a transfiguration moment on Mount Hermon to confirm our confession that Jesus is the Christ sent by the Father to reconcile us to himself through Jesus' death on the cross. If we have repented and confessed that Christ is our Savior and accepted that he is Lord of our life to lead us in doing the will of God, then we have received the Holy Spirit as a guarantee and to empower us to follow Christ as Lord as we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It is time for the seed to sprout and be fruitful. It will not be easy. Sometimes we get discouraged when we don't get instant results or worse, our overtures are rejected. But remember, Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples before they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And of all those who followed Jesus during his ministry, only 120 were present as committed to Christ on the day of Pentecost. I pray that the Holy Spirit will teach, fill each of us each day to embolden and empower us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Father, we come to you as part of the remnant that you have left behind to shine a light into the darkness of the world around us. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit may empower us, may embolden us to take the word of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, out to those that we know in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our work. <clears throat> Father, we also pray that the Holy Spirit will prepare the hearts of those to, to receive us and to receive your word. Father, we know we are weak, but you use the weak. We know that we are wordless, wordless, but the Holy Spirit will give us the words. Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit every day. Bring to our minds so that we can pray for those that you would have us talk to.